Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas podcast. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Today, we are joined by Ryan Green. Ryan is the founder and CEO, or co-founder, I should say, and CEO of GridWise, which helps rideshare drivers optimize their income and monitor and manage their performance using an app. Ryan is a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy. Now, you know, there's a big accomplishment right onto itself. And he actually played football for those guys. So not only did he go to uh, the Naval Academy, he played football for them as well. And after graduating and doing his tour of duty in the Navy, uh, he went into the banking industry, uh, where he created uh, some data platforms and uh, learned a lot about uh, bringing various different data sets together. And I think that was sort of the impetus of putting together GridWise, which uh, Uber and Lyft and uh, food delivery drivers can use so that they can understand uh, where the good rates are, uh, where there's a surge in uh, a rider demand right now, and sort of gives them a little bit of much more knowledge and power and control over sort of the context of their work. So I thought it was pretty cool. What did you think, Mike? Yeah, Bela, I'm really excited to hear this interview. I mean, I'm really interested in the gig economy or the sharing economy. People call it different things. And one way that I've been really thinking and talking with people about uh, this industry is the fairness involved in this industry. And I think that when Uber and Lyft and some of these um, platforms started, they were meant to be kind of side gigs for somebody that they might do in the evening or on a weekend as an additional little way to pick up some money. But We've seen that many, many, many people for a variety of reasons are making full-time work out of this. Um, and when you add the numbers up, um, a lot of times the, the workers are getting the short end of the stick. They're not getting benefits. They're not protected by labor laws in many states. Um, and the wage, the real actual take-home pay that they wind up getting um, may not be fair. Um, and so it's, it comes from a power differential, right? The companies have the power and in, any individual driver has, has none. So this whole idea of these workers having some self, some autonomy and some self-control to me is fantastic, right? It's really exciting. But at the end of the day, if their quality of work life and then therefore the quality of their whole life is, is suffering, um, is that fair and what can be done about it? So these kind of apps, I think to me are a real eye opener and, and what, um, what Gridwise is doing is a real eye-opener and kind of what's possible as we look to version 2.0, maybe, if you want to call it that, of the gig economy. So I'm excited to give this a listen. What do you think? Yeah, let's go. Let's dive right into this one. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Young Conventional Path. Today's guest is Ryan Green. He's a former U.S. veteran and founder of Gridwise. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So, Ryan, uh, let me ask you a question. If you're at a social event and uh, you get introduced to somebody and after the introductions, they ask you, hey, Ryan, what do you do? How do you answer that question? I tend to I tend to start pretty general at first where I would probably say that I run a software company. And from there, if there's a, you know, I, I don't want to go into a full elevator pitch if someone's not really interested in hearing it. So if they if they're. Um, you know, if they ask more questions, it's like, you know, what, what do you do? Then I'll say is, uh, yeah, I'm the uh, co-founder of a company called Gridwise. And, and then I'll uh, delve into talking more about Gridwise and, and what we do 
uh, and and that should that kind of closes closes the loop and gives them a good overview. Yeah, yeah, great. So, what is Gridwise and what does it do, Ryan? Yeah, so Gridwise is uh, it's a platform that's operating within the mobility space. What our our focus is really around uh, empowering uh, gig mobility workers. Uh, so you think of the workers who are uh, driving for this serv- the ride hail and delivery services like Uber, Lyft, Postmates, DoorDash, Instacart, so many different services out there. Um, we focus on building solutions that empower the gig workers uh, while also empowering uh, others who are operating uh, within or interface with the mobility ecosystem. So that could be a mobility service provider, that could be a department of transportation, the city themselves, uh, as, as well as a, a real estate firm. Um, and so essentially what we do is uh, in, in empowering the drivers, we're essentially providing them a, a mobile app that helps them be more efficient and profitable on the road. And, and so what we're doing is providing analytics on uh, what's happening in real time, what's expected to happen ahead of time. As over 70 percent of these drivers are bouncing between multiple services, we're helping them actually track their performance across. We're helping them track their performance across all the services that they drive for. Uh, and being able to uh, to allow them to see a consolidated picture in one place of how they're performing, and and what the um, in addition to uh, so what the app is helping us do is again empower these gig workers, but also uh, enables us to understand really start to build a uh, be to where we've built the most comprehensive data set in this space to understand supply and demand across all those major services. And what we do is we anonymize that data. Uh, we care a lot about the privacy elements of that. And we aggregate it and provide analytics to those other stakeholders that I mentioned, whether that's a real estate firm, another mobility service uh, provider, like a, a, a shuttle, uh, on-demand shuttle or a Department of Transportation to help them uh, be more informed on how people and goods are moving across gig mobility services and make operational decisions that help them improve the way people and goods move in cities. Oh, wow. Very nice. Very nice. So if I'm a if I'm a driver for Uber and Lyft and Instacart, so give me an example of how I would use it and what benefit it gives me. Yeah. So as as you come into the app uh, and it's your it, you've just downloaded Gridwise, uh, what you're going to do is you're going to come in and, and you're going to be able to use Gridwise across the entire driving journey from when you're before you even hit the road, you're using Gridwise to help you plan ahead uh, and answer the question of you know, should I drive now or should I drive later? What, what most people are, most drivers are driving part-time. So they're trying to figure out what's where, when should I be driving? Gridwise helps answer those questions by providing forecasts on, on uh, what's expected to happen, whether that's related to uh, information like, such as airport traffic trends or events, or as well as just general trends of how uh, different drivers are performing across different areas of the cities or uh, uh, what they're, uh, how they're performing across different days, across different types of stats we provide. And, and then as you've decided to go out and to drive, you're driving around the city, you're being taken from point A to point B by a multitude of passengers or by the goods that they've ordered. And so you may end up in, let's say you end up in the suburbs. Your next question is going to be like, all right, well, do I stay where I'm at? Do I go back to the city? Do I go to the airport? Like, what's my next move? Uh, and so Gridwise is helping you make those real-time decisions on, on, on where uh, you should drive next as well. And then what's happening as you're driving out on the road, you're, you're constantly turning those service apps on and off. You're turning, you get a trip on Uber, you turn off Postmates, you get a trip on Lyft, you turn off uh, DoorDash. And 
and your performance and your activity becomes fragmented across those services. So what, what you do after you complete your driving is you, you look into Gridwise and you say like, hey, wow, it's great. Gridwise has captured all the data across all these, all my activity across all these services. And it's helping me actually see like what my dollars per hour or what my dollars per mile are, how much where I'm making the most, what parts of the city I'm making the most money from, what parts is like, it is helping inform me on how I'm performing as a driver. So as I know the actions I've taken or the strategy that I enacted on, I, I have, a, I'm closing the feedback loop and I know how to improve. And I, I get a baseline of understanding is like, maybe I'm, I'm doing okay. I can see how I'm doing compared to other drivers. So it may show that I have a lot of room to improve and I need to try some new things in my strategy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that sounds really neat. I mean, it's sort of you're aggregating all of my activities and then providing that information for me and using historical data from, from all of your database to help predict, like you said, when a good time to go drive is, when it's not a good time, where the hot spots are, so to speak, and where they're not. Wow, that's cool. So what was your, what was your sort of inspiration for this? Take me back to you know, the early days of, hey, I, I have an idea for doing this. How, how, did, that, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, it, um, it, it really kind of came to be over time through, uh, through a series of experiences. I think one was through uh, starting my own uh, company when I was in college. I was in the, the Naval Academy in Annapolis. I, I started a company that was, it was somewhat tangential to Gridwise. It was in the financial services space, but really also focused on helping helping driver, like not drivers, I'm sorry, helping, uh, helping people on, uh, kind of come to a, a one place that centralized a lot of key information that helped them understand how, help them be able to understand the markets. And so it was a really, is like we, it's uh, the last company was also about, you know, consolidating fragmented information. And as I went through, as I ran that company and I was in active duty military, that had gone on to some extent to some point, but made a series of mistakes. And for a series of reasons, we shut that company down, but taught me so many, so many valuable lessons uh, that it really informed how I'd start Gridwise. And in between that uh, bridge is, uh, was the experience uh, when I was in the military of actually starting to drive for Uber and then later Lyft. And so what I, I became a driver myself, I understood the pain points that drivers are dealing with. I understood how you feel like you're driving blind out on the road and you just don't know, you don't really know how to, you don't have any information at your disposal to make really effective decisions as you're driving. And, and as I, after I got out of the military, I went into to banking and I was doing uh, currency trading. I was taking rides. I was still an active driver, but I was, t I was taking quite a bit of rides with uh, uh, rideshare drivers as well. And hearing them complain about a lot of the same points that I had experienced firsthand. And what I saw is that everything really came down to two, two core aspects of the, this problem for drivers. Is one was the fragmentation of key information that drivers need and the inaccessibility of it. And so it really is there's some information that drivers could get their hands on to make decisions, but it was very fragmented. But then there's a lot of information that drivers need that they couldn't find anywhere. And so I was like, okay, well is there a way for us to bring all of that key information into one place? And, and that was kind of where the, the, the light bulb really lit up was, was at that point in time when I was in, in banking and taking these rides. And then at that point we went out uh, and set out to, to kind of validate the concept for Gridwise. And, and after some preliminary validation, went to uh, went full time and into Gridwise and got off the ground. Wow. Very nice. So how long has, uh, 
how long ago did you start Gridwise? Uh, we we started it in the latter part of 2016, but launched the launched the first product in in 2017 is when we were uh, uh, had had put that out on the market. Yeah, very nice. And are you venture backed? Uh, how, how are you financed? Yeah, we've raised uh, we've raised uh, 5.6 million dollars to date uh, from a series of uh, a very you know great and value added uh, investors. Oh, very nice, very nice. Uh, and uh, how big is the business now? Number of employees, uh, if you're willing to share that. Yeah, we have a we have a team of 16 now, and uh, we are we've been able to. Um, in any uh, given year, we empower over 200,000 drivers out on the road in the U.S. Yeah. And so how does the revenue model work? As a driver, do I pay for the app? And is it a monthly fee? Or to, to walk me through that. Yeah. So the core core value of the application is free. Uh, you come into the app and uh, really the, the core value of what we're looking to provide is free and will always continue to be free. Now, uh, there is a premium version of the application that is a subscription model. You want more granular analytics or insights. You want to add free experience. There's, uh, you, you pay a, a premium subscription for that because, uh, on, on the other hand, we also make money through advertising through our own brand network that we've built uh, where we're working with uh, you know, very large companies and, and, and uh, other companies within the ecosystem to help them reach gig workers. And, um, and, and so those, are, those have been... The primary two models there um, up until recently where we just launched a, a part of our business called uh, where, where, where we just started to stand up a part of our business called uh, Gridwise Analytics, um, where uh, kind of as I hinted at earlier, where we're focused on providing analytics on how people and goods are moving across gig mobility services. So that's a, a newer part of our revenue model. Yeah, it's got to it, 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 I got to feel that. As that data set gets larger and larger, it's going to become more and more valuable, and and it's going to dwarf the value of the, you know, what you might charge people to use the app versus having that data and information. So as you look into the future, uh, who do you see to be the big customers for that data, that sort of aggregated information? Who is that? Who is that valuable to? Yeah, it's a, a series of verticals that we've uh, engaged with and that we're partnering with. Is you know, one is uh, those core stakeholders who are operating within the mobility ecosystem. So those are uh, a lot of the service, uh, different types of service providers themselves. There may be uh, car sharing services, car leasing services. There's um, uh, micro mobility services, uh, EV charging platforms. They're they're trying to leverage this data to help them understand how to a lot of them who have uh, you know, other assets out on um, that they deploy, whether that's a scooter or bike share. They're trying to understand the best places of the pockets of demand, how people are moving. Um, but there's also the on the real estate side, uh, restaurants and uh, other uh, storefronts who are trying to figure out what is the best place to position my my next uh, store or my next location based off of how this transformation of mobility is taking place. Uh, there's, you know, the, I don't know if you've heard of this, this wave of ghost kitchens and how that's really changing the, the restaurant industry. And, and so like, there's so much about the delivery trends is so important. That's going to really be a key decider into, you know, how you perform from a delivery standpoint for dictating how long your orders will take to get to somebody. Yeah. Um, 
And so there's, there's, uh, I would say real estate, mobility services, there's financial services and helping investors make more sound and informed decisions on this space. Um, and, and really the municipal side where we're uh, working with partners that empower uh, cities, departments of transportation, uh, MPOs as well. And so a series of series of different different verticals there. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Now, let's let's dive back a little bit uh, back into your your background. So you said you went mm-hmm. to the Naval Academy and uh, you started a business while you were there. So there's this entrepreneurial spark somewhere. So did that come from your family? <laughs> Is there a history of that in the family or take me through that a little bit? No, it's, that's a great question. As uh, yeah, I would say is the when I reflect back, I in hindsight, I feel like that spark really, really ignited in, back in sixth grade. It was uh, I, I tend to tell a story about my my best best uh, lifelong friend uh, and I who. We, we saw an opportunity that all these kids wanted a particular type of lollipop at school. And so what we did is we went to Sam's Club. We bought that those lollipops in bulk, and then we sold them for 50 cents each. And we'd count money on, uh, on the bus after school each day. And we'd make hundreds of dollars a month, which was a lot of money to us at that time. And, and so that was, I can recall, since, since that experience... I've always had some kind of side hustle or some kind of project uh, where I'm tinkering with and trying to, to sell something to someone and, and, and to, or to build something that could be commercialized in some way. And that, that's what really led to me starting my first real formal business in, in college in the financial services space. Um, so it was really, uh, I, I think the combination of like those experiences um, that I had have led to to where I am now, but also is um, if I look at my my family and my mom's side of the family, most everyone there owns their own business, uh, their own small business there. And on my dad's side of the family, everyone's been pretty deep into sales. Um, and, and now my my dad even has his own uh, uh, TV show uh, called a, a Fishing Story that's been on Discovery Channel and other places. So. It's like there's always there's been quite a bit of entrepreneurship and, and sales within kind of my my bloodline that I think is really uh, really driven driven uh, the outcomes uh, in in the, in the path that I've decided yeah. to pursue. Yeah. So w- one of the things that I'm thinking about here as we're having this conversation is I think of the military academies as not very entrepreneurial places. You know, you sort of go there, you're told what to do, you're, everything is sort of, you know, laid out for you. And, and so uh, take me through, if, if you wouldn't mind, uh, uh, that decision process of why you decided to go to the Naval Academy. Uh, you know, is, uh, I'd always been interested. I, it wasn't, I, I will say it wasn't my lifelong dream to go to the Naval Academy, but I, I was, I always had an interest in the military. My dad was in the Marines himself. Um, in, in my, uh, past generations, there was, there's been quite a few people in the military. Uh, so I was always intrigued by, by different aspects of the military. And then the opportunity came about when I was assessing, um, options for, um, uh, that I had to play football in college as well. And I had looked at uh, the Naval Academy was one that had showed a lot of interest in and in, in was recruiting me. And, and so that made me dig into the Naval Academy more. And, and as I assessed that option relative to other options, I saw that it's like, wow, there's 
there's a lot more that goes into the Naval Academy than just, I think, oh, a lot of the other schools I was looking at would just be about going there and playing football and figuring figuring life out as it goes uh, for, for me personally. And and I think the, the Naval Academy resonated uh, just from just the interest that I had in military, but also I think what the outcome could, could be in, in coming from there and what that would that experience would teach me. Yeah, well said. Well said, because I think you're absolutely right. Most people's impressions of uh, the academies are that they're, uh, they're, let me say it this way, the academies are a lot more and a lot richer from experience-wise than most people give them credit for. So um, I think you said that very well. That's great. And uh, so as you uh, think about entrepreneurship and sort of your entrepreneurial journey, um, if some, someone came up to you and said, Hey, what advice would you have for me? You know, I'm thinking about starting my business. What, what advice would you mm-hmm. give them? Um, yeah, I would say is, uh, you know, I, I have quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit of these conversations with, with, with people, uh, fairly often. And I think, uh, one of the biggest, biggest, uh, pieces of advice that I tend to give people is to, avoid what I call the product bubble. I think is uh, a lot of people come in to, they have an idea and the first thing they think of in today's age is, all right, well, I'm going to turn this idea into an app or this needs to be an app or needs to be some web platform. And I, I think it's, it, it makes sense to think about in today's world that you, know, you, you need to, uh, uh, technology is, is really the, in being online and digital, having a digital presence is important, but that's not the place you should always start. People always want to go out and build their vision from day one. And so I, I think you really want to take a step back from, you know, take this idea and then, you know, know that this, this idea is, is just a very, it, it, it's, it's nothing. It's just a, an idea on a napkin at this point. So just take the next step back, uh, step forward after that, that napkin idea into figuring out what's the most minimal way that I can prove out that. I can solve a key problem in the market or that I can fill a void in the market. And then people really want the core of what I'm thinking about offering. And it may not be, they may not want exactly what you're thinking about right at the bat, off the bat, but it may, but what you'll, the, the sooner you get feedback, the faster you'll iterate and, and be able to kind of point your arrow in the right direction to be on the right course there. But I think so many people, who go that that path of trying to you know hire a, a dev firm and pay fifty to a hundred thousand dollars to build an app right off uh, from day one, spend that and t- tend to spend with that mindset tend to spend that entire a long period of development time, not engaging with their customers, not getting out of the building, and then what they've done is is wasted so much time of not having feedback and not learning, and then by the time they get their product out the door, people don't want what they've what they've developed and they didn't spend time trying to figure that out. So I think that is, there's such high rates of failure in entrepreneurship. And so I think that those steps, the, those key initial steps of getting a company off the ground are so important. And then continuing to have that mentality moving forward are just, is just core to the principles needed to really figure out and find product market fit. Yeah. Yeah. That was well said, you know, it, it reminded me of my first entrepreneurial experience where, uh, we had venture funding and, uh, we, we, we built this big electromechanical device. So it was, you know, like mm-hmm. a year and a half of development. Uh, and the first time we ever showed it to a customer was when we went to the trade show as an exhibitor 
you know, so the product, <laughs> the product was done, at least in our uh-huh. eyes. Right. And, yeah. and we got it about 70% right. But unfortunately, that wasn't enough to make a viable business out of it, you know. So this notion of sort of a minimum viable product, right, and getting getting something out as soon as you can and getting it to getting customer feedback. How did you do that with Gridwise? Yeah. So what um, really it started with? Uh, I, I would say that that learning lesson came from the company I mentioned, the financial services company. It was called FX Connection. Is we actually started with a very minimal product. That was our product was on Google Slides. And then it went to this complex web platform that had all these bells and whistles. And, and we got stuck in that product bubble. And then we created something that someone did. We, we did exactly what I said I would, you shouldn't, what I would advise people against doing today. So when I went into Gridwise, I, I was a little more seasoned. I had some battle scars there. And, and when I came into that, I was really focused on making sure I didn't repeat that mistake. And so what I wanted to do initially is say like, okay, well, how do I prove out that people actually want this initial concept of what Gridwise could be? And so I went out and created landing, some landing pages and on a weekend that was really had a flow of sign up, pricing and success and the success page. And I would AB, I AB tested both of those pages, all those pages. And once someone signed up, they would go to the pricing page to see what, what they're willing to pay for, the importance of that. B, A page had low pricing, B page had high pricing. And then the success page would say, hey, I'm f- sorry, unfortunately, we're under development. But if you're a committed driver, fill out this survey. And, and what, we, what I found is I, I did this experiment completely for free. I didn't pay, spend a single dollar proving getting this traction because we went to Facebook groups. We found pockets of users on Facebook groups. And I just pasted this link of the landing page and sent a message there. And people had over in a week of doing that had over 500 people sign up and over a hundred people fill out the survey. And in the survey, they spilled their guts. They, uh, their, their problems, their proposed solutions, their strategies, the, their preferences, the services they drove for so, so much information. It was the biggest, uh, it was just eye-opening and it validated so many hypotheses, but also just like helped me see so many things that I would have never thought of or, or if I didn't hear get that feedback. And so that was the first stage of just validating demand and, and using, there was no product, there was nothing that existed. It was just the concept of that and made it look like there was a product uh, just to get people signing up and see what that flow looks like. It was an ex- experiment. And, and then as we went to, I use that, we use that traction to, to get an initial funding from an accelerator. And, and that allowed us to uh, go full-time, my co-founder and I go full-time into uh, Gridwise. And as we did that, we almost got stuck in the product bubble again. We almost, we came into, came into uh, Gridwise, uh, this accelerator and had all these, you know, beautifully designed mock-ups uh, with heat maps and all these great bells and whistles again. And then we spec'd it out. My partner was like, hey, this would take us like seven months to develop and we don't even have that much runway. So <laughs> we need to figure out a better solution here. And, and so the question we had was like, how do we get a, how do we get a product in the user's hands as fast as possible and get feedback from them? And so that first product of Gridwise was actually uh, what we created was a weekly email that we'd send out every Sunday that curated a bunch of key information for what's happening that week that's important for drivers to know. And then every day we'd send about 
two, three, up to four alerts, uh, text messages to drivers. We built a little text message service, collected phone numbers, and we would, we would type out alerts to them on a, a service that my partner built um, saying, hey, it's going to rain in the next 30 minutes, which is an indication of increased demand. Or, hey, the, this event's going to let out in 45 minutes, or this is the this uh, airport traffic is peaking uh, in the next hour. And, and so what we were actually doing behind the scenes was something that was completely not scalable, but allowed us to prove out the, 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 this next phase of Gridwise. And we were subscribed to about 20 different apps, receiving notifications from them all. We'd receive a notification and we'd retype and repurpose it in, in the language that resonated and was uh, more relevant for drivers. And that was the first uh, version of Gridwise. And that allowed us to figure out what people really care about and what and informed what we should build in terms of the, the next version, which would be the, the first version of our mobile application. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's really some insightful comments there, particularly about the notion of the product bubble and and, you know, having been both a, a venture backed entrepreneur and a venture capitalist, uh, you know, you get that slug of money and all of a sudden you start diving into your product and into the bowels and the guts of what you're doing and you sort of lose sight of your customer. And, and I think the other interesting thing you said is, is the sort of the value of all these social media apps and, and our ability today to reach out to potential customers and to do this sort of testing and marketing, right? Which, which mm -hmm. pre-social media was difficult. You, you, you had a, go hang out on a street corner and ask people some questions, <laughs> right? And now yeah. you, you can sort of do it because there's Facebook, Facebook groups for everything. And, yeah. and those, are, those are great opportunities to, to access and get some information and data at a very low cost that helps you then formulate your product. So uh, that's, an, that's a great point you made there. Super. So uh, what do you see sort of next for uh, Gridwise for you guys? Yeah, I would say what's really next for us as a platform is um, is building out. We're really going to be focused on uh, getting just getting deeper into empowering the, the stakeholders we're engaged with. So as we think about the the gig drivers themselves, is uh, really starting to build out uh, you know, more enhanced analytics into the application, but also outside of that, is just a, a marketplace of services for the drivers. There's so much. There's so much uh, I think that we can bring uh, in terms of utility to the drivers, but there's so much uh, more out there um, uh, of outside of the core of what we focus on uh, of different types of companies that we partner with to bring more benefits to these drivers. As, as you can see, uh, as anybody can see to the, today's, uh, a lot of the headlines are about the, uh, the classification, the work status of independent workers and how they lack benefits and, and their, their wages are compressed. And so really we're, we're focused on helping them increase their bottom line, but it's like, what more can we do to really just help create a more equitable experience for these workers um, out on the road? And so I think there's, there's going to be a big focus for us in providing uh, a more uh, key benefits and services to those drivers uh, in addition to the analytics we provide them. And then, and really this is going to be a, a big year for us is really uh, uh, coming out of our shell and the analytics uh, side of our business and, and really starting to, to become a, a strong influencer into influencing or, or catalyzing the growth or transformation of gig mobility as we are actually the first platform that can shed light into how people and goods are moving across these services 
uh, by possessing the most comprehensive data set and most granularity that we uh, that is provided in this industry. And so, so many companies are operating in the dark and have no idea about how people and goods move across these services. And Gridwise is going to be the first to, to be able to help them under, uh, to see that. Yeah, very nice, very nice. So, I'd like to wrap this up. We've been we've been at it uh, thirty minutes almost here. And uh, you've been a great guest, Ryan. Uh, is there something that I should have asked you that I haven't? Is there something else you'd like to share? Mm, you know, I, I think we've covered everything that I'd uh, that I, I think was was relevant. I think it was uh, really got a lot out of me there and, and getting into the story and, and really where what Gridwise is now and where we're going. So. Well, great. Thanks. So uh, how do I find Gridwise if I'm uh, if I'm uh, if I'm interested yeah, so you uh, can go to gridwise.io. Uh, that is our, our website. Uh, and if uh, you are a driver listening to the podcast, a gig worker, you can go to the App Store. You can go to the website, but you can also go straight to the App Store, the Play, Google Play Store or Apple um, App Store and uh, search Gridwise and download it from there. Super, super. Well, great. I will make sure that information is in the show notes. Uh, thank you very much, Ryan, for uh being on the show. You've been a wonderful guest and I really appreciate the, the time that you've uh, uh, given our listeners and the insights. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bella. I really appreciate your time and for having me, um, having me on the, on the show. Certainly. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, Bella, yes, this was a great interview. Really interesting, uh, really interesting conversation. Um, I feel like Ryan really did find a important and underserved niche uh, in terms of creating a service for these gig workers. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think he did. And I thought it was interesting uh, in his approach, right? He did a great job, I think, in sort of uh, getting a minimum viable product out there and sort of testing it, right, as soon as he can, uh, getting getting his ideas and concepts, whether they be landing pages and success pages or sketches or mock-ups, uh, whatever words you want to use to describe sort of a prototype, that's not even a functioning prototype, but sort of notion of getting it out there in front of drivers, in this case, and seeing and learning from them what the value is to them and tweaking that in getting that value proposition uh, honed in so it is of value. And remember he said he had, I believe, several hundred people signed up before they launched a product, Right. So, so that was a, you know, a good indicator that, hey, there's people willing to do this. And yes, it's a free app. Uh, that's okay. But there's nothing wrong with that either. And you're providing value and you're helping these folks uh, do a better job. And if, if you provide value to your customers, they will remain customers and they'll be loyal customers and they'll talk to others about the, the, the great app that you've given them. So I think one of the key takeaways from, from the conversation I had with him was this notion of the minimum viable product and, and getting it out there as soon as you can uh, and getting feedback on it and then tweaking it and iterating it and then you know putting out release number two and then release number three and release number four uh, as fast and as quickly as you can as you learn. Totally agree. I mean, this was textbook what we try to teach people when we're teaching about entrepreneurship, right? It was a, it's a great combination of kind of uh, lean startup methodology and design thinking, right? He had all these elements that he put together into a, a really nice tight package. So it was great to hear. And yeah, this whole idea about the product bubble, kind of where you're going with getting products 
in front of customers first. I thought that was great uh, and how Ryan recognized it early on uh, and he avoided it. Um, and I like how you, what you were talking about in terms of you see this from two perspectives as a, a founder of a business that was VC funded and from your VC hat. What can a typical aspiring entrepreneur that might be listening to us right now, what can they take away from this conversation about avoiding the product bubble, Bela? So I think, I think one of the causes of a product bubble is uh, the, the seeking perfection, right? As, as developers, as, as passionate individuals, uh, you're out trying to make a product. You want to make it perfect. And, and the challenge is you're oftentimes making it perfect in your eyes or how you view the product. And that's important, but it's much more important to get it perfect in, from your customer's perspective. So getting it out, again, in front of customers is really important. And the challenge is, particularly when you go raise VC money, and this is, I've seen this and, and it also did it uh, in our first company where we raised $3 bucks. Uh, we got so focused on the product and we said, hey, we got $3 bucks. That gives us enough runway for two years so we don't have to sell a product for two years. And, and so what we did, we didn't sell a product for two years and we didn't, we didn't start selling the product until we saw, Hey, the runway, we're going to be out of money in a few months. We better start selling. And lo and behold, we spent all that time, quote unquote, perfecting the product in our own eyes. And, and we missed the mark uh, because we didn't talk to customers. We didn't engage with customers during that process. So I think this is really important and, and it's a trap that's easy to fall into particularly when you as an entrepreneur uh, raise money. Uh, number one, that's, that's one thing that'll get you into this trap because uh, you say, okay, well, we don't have to sell product for a while. We got a nice, nice bank account. Or number two, you're driven by perfection. And, and don't, don't be driven by perfection. Get it 80% right. Get it out there. Get it tested. Get feedback on it because you will learn so much more from your customers than you will ever learn by sitting at your desk and staring at your navel and thinking about how to make this thing better, right? Your customers are the ones who will tell you how to make it better. Yeah, so that, that's, I think, is was really important lesson uh, or, or value from my conversation with Ryan. Yeah, great, Bela. Couldn't agree more. Um, my last question kind of for you is how sustainable do you think this is? I mean, do you think this industry is going to be around for a while? You know, they've been collectively losing a lot of money, okay? But the adoption has been really uh, huge and universal. Um, do you think this idea of helping um, helping drivers is going to be a need for a while? Or is this something that uh, Uber or Lyft could just either buy or imitate and kind of shove them out? Um, you know, the... the uh, you know, is Ryan at risk of kind of being um, being elbowed out by by the people who run the platforms? What's your sense? Sustainable or not? So uh, I think what makes this sustainable is that it's cross-platform, right? It doesn't really matter whether you're driving for Lyft or Uber or Grubhub or any of these other sort of services. And that's what makes it valuable. Uber in itself wants to do this for their drivers to some extent, because if their drivers make more money, Uber makes more money. Right? If their drivers pick up more, more customers and, and more riders, they take them more places, that's all good for Uber. So they're motivated. But the beauty here is the cross-platform piece uh, because you know 
the, the, the times that I've been in uh, Lyft or an Uber, oftentimes the, the person on the windshield has the Lyft sticker and the Uber sticker and they, and they're driving for both simultaneously. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, I think, so, so that number one, I think what, what is what gives this sustainability is this notion of that. He, he did it cross platform, uh, because if he just did it for one, then he'll either get bought by that one or he'll get put out of business by that one. Uh, but this cross-platform, I think, is valuable, number one. Number two, the data he's collecting has value unto itself uh, to the industry because he can he can sort of take this data, which if you think about it, ha- has all sorts of information in it if you can figure out how to mine it properly, um, probably uh, in applications that no one has even thought about yet. And I think thirdly, as I was having this conversation with with Ryan, uh, what what struck me was this, I think what's clearly not going away is this notion of independent contractors. I think a larger and larger percentage of the workforce is going to not be working for a company directly. They're going to be working for themselves, and they're fundamentally independent contractors. And when you're an independent contractor, you often find yourself in a case where you're mer- working for multiple clients or multiple customers, Right. And, and sometimes they're called independent contractors, sometimes they're called consultants, but, but it's all the same stuff. And, and trying to, as an independent contractor, trying to manage that, if you're working for three or four different companies and trying to evaluate, uh, should I bid on this project? Should I not bid on it? How should I price it? Uh, is this a good company to work for as an independent contractor? Is it not? Uh, how cyclical are they? All that kind of information and data uh, would be important. Uh, not only to, to help me decide which ones I should go after, but also to help me sort of manage my business and, 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 and thinking about uh, where surges are and those types of things. So I think it has application way beyond sort of the, the driver economy, if you will. Uh, all sorts of, of, of uh, independent contractors that, where there's surges in demand and the surge in demand is like the tide, you know, it kind of comes and goes. Uh, depend. Sometimes it's seasonal. Sometimes it's it's other things. Uh, you know, look at the ski industry, right? The the ski area I ski at h- hires like 800 people for three months, <laughs> and then the rest of the year there's 50 people that work there, right? Uh, so there, there's a lot of businesses like that that have these huge things. And so, as an individual uh, seeking employment in various different places, how do I find those opportunities? How do I evaluate them? Uh, I think this this type of tool, uh, again, in a broader way, maybe in ways we haven't thought about yet, has has significant value to part of the economy that I think is going to continue to grow, and that's the independent contractor piece. Yeah, and it's it's always been there, Bela. You know, we kind of forget that, but like farm workers, right, who are picking fruit and kind of you know in a, a, a short periods of time, or people at UPS, right, who are working the holiday rush, right. I mean, we've always had in our economy, these people who are surge workers, right? And, you know, sometimes you do it only because that's all you can do for whatever reason. And those people are vulnerable. And an app like this gives those people some power and some information that they have. I think that can make their lives better that I don't think make the lives of the, the providers, the Ubers or the farmers or whoever we're talking about or UPS any worse. Yeah. Right. So I really think that there's a lot of space here for win-win solutions in this area. 
and can really do this because I mean, even in these new kind of we call them the new gig workers, right, or the the Uber drivers or the Lyft drivers or the Postmates workers or whatever, you know, they trade off in some ways flexibility. Yeah, they're trading flexibility in their work hours and what work they do, but they're trading it for some of the protections that we normally see when you have a full time contract, which is right the right to um, to to collectively bargain for your wages or the right to um, to have workplace safety laws that are protecting you, right? Uh, the um, access to health insurance or whatever it is, right? And a lot of times these trade-offs have been made. So I love the fact that this tool can maybe make some of those those trade-offs um, less painful for workers, the workers who are doing the work, but at the same time really have no cost and maybe even improve the bottom line of the companies that are hiring those people. Because you know what? If they can get a stable workforce that's healthy and happy and working at their best, like you said, right? Everybody's interested in having an optimal workforce, so maybe this is a place where there can be some win-wins, where workers can win and companies can win. Um, and I think that that's probably well needed uh, in today's economy right now all over the world. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, independent workers like this are often the, the most vulnerable and the highest risk. And, mm-hmm. and, and help figuring out ways of, of making them smarter, uh, more in control of what they're doing, uh, I think is a good thing. Yeah, couldn't agree more. All right, that's great, Bella. Let's wrap this up. So listeners, thanks for joining us today. We hope you found this episode as interesting and thought-provoking as we did. If you have questions about what we've discussed, as always, please absolutely feel free to get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And please do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. It's pretty easy. Just hit subscribe in your favorite podcasting application. Uh, When you do that, it helps other people find us. So until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you soon, Mike. Thanks, Bela, from over here in Münster, Germany. Auf Wiedersehen.